What's up, guys? Um, welcome to Cool Talk with me, Akshay. Um, I recorded this podcast with Dertwan Sherman and Gautham. We talked about UBI experiences in college and other stuff, but we didn't really have a starting point. So that's why as soon as I stop talking, it's going to jump straight into the podcast. So please enjoy. I might make a podcast where I review everyone else's podcast, Dervon's podcast, <laughs> Abood's podcast, Akshay's podcast. I just oh, I've had one episode so far. Yeah. My podcast is so ghetto. Oh, you're not going to believe this, but the podcast market has gotten so oversaturated that I believe one in three uh, Americans has a podcast. Or sorry, one in 300 has a podcast. So that's like a million podcasts in this country. Think about that. One million podcasts. It makes sense because it's so easy to make one. Mm-hmm. It's like ridiculous. All you have to do is literally get anchor. Know how to talk. Talk. Yeah and upload it i I really think this is oh sorry i was gonna say it's like another thing is that i think this is a good thing for america because a lot of times people just want to rant you know and i guess this is this gives it a purpose yeah there's so much like now there's just so much like data on the internet you know what i'm saying like there's just so much like interesting shit obviously you have to sit sift through so much like bullshit and just like nonsense to find things that are like interesting but I still think it's, like, fascinating, like, how many more fucking terabytes upon terabytes of fucking data are going to be on the internet. I don't know. I just find that, like, interesting with, like, podcasts. Also, this is just so much easier because, like, like compared to, like, at least, like, YouTube, like, YouTube, like, requires you to, like, make a video, like, export it, like, edit that shit. Like, dude, podcasts have to be so easy. But I feel like it's so much harder for mm-hmm. to get, like, recognizable on a podcast market because, like, no one finds a random podcast and just starts listening to it unless they know who's on the podcast, like like David yeah, Dobrik or like Joe Rogan or some shit like that. It's all so about my first. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, like, for my first podcast, I was recording with like a bunch of my friends, and Gaffin knows who the Buddha Blasters are. So I'd only had to, I only had to cut out like four things that they said to make it like okay to put online. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 a little sus but uh i was gonna <laughs> i was gonna say the podcast market is just is just networking and then obviously it comes to name recognition but in the beginning especially for you know students like us like it's just networking yeah like i know someone here on campus who has a radio show like i don't listen to it but like i'm just saying like it's so easy to yeah it's just so easy to do it it's it's going to be an interesting thing once it gets too saturated. Um, like for example, uh, I'm I'm part I do stand up on the side. Like I'm horrible, but I do it. But I'm part of this group. I swear to God, every single comedian has a podcast. And the issue is, I feel like the value is kind of going away from it. Why? Because they're all trying makes- to be funny. They're all just trying to be funny. Yeah, and at that point, you're like, only your friends are going to listen to it. Maybe a few extra people who like, oh, damn, I like this guy's personality, or, oh, damn, this is a very interesting topic. But after some time, I feel like podcast and just go with the big names. Yeah, like, I used to listen to David Dobrik's podcast, like, every fucking week. It would come out, like, like, a, like for a very long time. And then I just fell out of it because it just got boring. Like, it just got repetitive. Mm-hmm. What's it called? Um, have you have you seen the Gus and Eddie podcast? No, bro. Views is the only one I've listened to, literally. Yeah. So how long are those episodes typically? Those are usually like forty minutes. 
I think they the record, David Dobrik one. Yeah, I think they record mm-hmm. for like an hour and a half and they cut shit out. But they basically just got like forty minutes of talking and then yeah. is each episode. Yeah, it's all like the same friends that um show up in his blogs and stuff. It's right? just so. like him, him and Jason, and then I think recently they oh, like yeah, added yeah. their assistants, like random people come on and talk about shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Dervon, you wanna explain UBI to us? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So first of all, uh, my name is Dertuan. Oh, uh, my bad, bro. No, you're good. You're good. Um, so I, <laughs> I co-founded an organization, a political advocacy organization called Power of the People. You can check us out on powerotpeople.com, and you can check us out on Power OT People on Instagram, Twitter, and you can also check us out on LinkedIn for relevant articles. Wow, and shameless so- promo, bro. Shameless promo. <laughs> That's how you do it. That's how you do it. And so our whole idea is to raise public awareness by universal basic income. So if you don't know what universal basic income is, it's pretty simple and very self-explanatory. It's, it's a, a guaranteed income to every citizen of a nation. And it's usually given on a monthly basis. Uh, one of the most prominent proposals was by Andrew Yang, the former Democratic presidential candidate, which is $1,000 to each American citizen 18 years or older of $1,000 each month. So that's $12,000 a year. And so the whole idea is that people are suffering. Before the pandemic, 50% of Americans could not afford a $500 surprise bill. 50%, that's 175 million Americans who couldn't afford to, uh, to pay a surprise medical bill, to pay an overdraft fee. And the issue is, is that Income inequality is rampant in our country, and we need to do something about it. Instead, we keep funding a very bloated military budget that has endless wars, that puts our troops at risk, that kills innocent civilians, and we also continue to keep giving corporate bailouts. Instead of people's tax money going to useless stuff, let's start giving it back to them and help them afford a sustainable life. Let them have money for the bare necessities, food, water, utility, rent. And a lot of people are starting to get on board with this because of the pandemic. I don't know if you saw, but with the CARES Act, I think in May, uh, 10 million Americans got $1,200. Now, the issue is they got $1,200 for, what, eight months? That's less than $5 a day. That's ridiculous. 55 million Americans are in poverty right now. We need to be giving s- stimulus payments to them and hopefully make this into a permanent system because people are suffering. The pandemic has taken, what, 300,000 American lives. We're at 10 million cases, 100 new thousand cases yesterday. It's not safe for people to go back to work. And t- I guess to take this out of the pandemic com- context, another reason we need universal basic income because automation is coming. Between 2000 and 2015, Five million manufacturing jobs were lost to automation, not immigrants, automation. And what's going to happen is that we're looking at a grim future where we don't have jobs because we're seeing efficiency increasing in this country and more and more reliance on robots and automation because it's cheaper for a robot to do a work than for a person because companies have to give them health care and other benefits. Granted, they should be doing that, but, you know, we have to supplement that. So I guess that's, like, the basic idea of UBI. I kind of rambled on, but, yeah. What are the counter arguments to UBI? Because I think, yeah, I feel like that's, what I was gonna say. that's so the like, best thing to focus on because people who, like, aren't on the fence, 
who are on the fence, obviously, we usually be like, oh, that sounds like a great idea because you're making great points. Mm -hmm. And people who are obviously on board with you be like, yeah, exactly, I agree. But I feel like you should, you should like, focus on the counter-arguments. Like, what are the... We hear so many voices, like, people around us, a lot of people are so strong on, like, economic freedom and, like, there shouldn't be many restrictions and there's people who love UBI, like, give money back to the people. Like, why do you think UBI is necessary yeah so so much to the point where like um to cut like military spending and like spending that you think that we don't need yeah so the first thing the first counter argument you will always get is it disincentivizes people to work you know people are like oh you're giving them a handout they won't want to work now and the issue is first of all it's not true because we're only giving them twelve thousand dollars a year and just to let you know, the poverty level is at $12,000 a year. We're providing them, as the name says, a basic income. In fact, a lot of studies have shown that people, when they received UBI checks in like specific trials in the Netherlands, in uh, Canada, uh, Canadian provinces, and even in uh, South Carolina, we saw people actually work more. And they saved the money and left it for a rainy day. So the first of all, so disincentivization to work is not true because we're just providing basic income. We want people to not have financial strain. And in fact, productivity goes up. There's been multiple studies. You can fact check me on this, where when people, especially workers, don't have financial stress or burden at home, they tend to be mentally healthier and be more productive at work because they're not suffering uh, they're not thinking about how to feed their kids. They're not thinking about, oh, damn, can I pay my car um, payment this month or should I pay my house payment? You know what I'm saying? It's We're providing ease to people, and it's very necessary because time and time again, we give money to people who don't need it. Corporate bailouts, $3 trillion goes to Boeing, $3 trillion goes to Amazon. Jeff Bezos is the richest man in this world. And we have 50% of this country that makes in less than that makes less than $60,000 a year. This isn't about socialism. This is about empathy. People are suffering. Can you tell me you can look someone in the eye who's suffering, who's working 40 to 50 dollars or 50 40 to 50 hours a week, who's trying to put their kids to school, who's trying to put food on the table that no, we are not going to help you because hey, this is an individualistic society. You're going to have to rough it out on your own. And hey, if you get mental health issues, you can turn to drugs and alcohol. No, that's never going to be the answer. We need aggressive policies that puts money in the hands of people. I don't know if you guys know this. This is a ridiculous number. But each federal representative gets $40,000 a year for office furniture. Office furniture. Are you kidding me? There's there's 55 million people who are right now making $12,000 a year or less. And office furniture gets a bigger budget? I think that's very ridiculous. We need to be a people-centered society. So, Wait, um, yeah. Oh, when you say $40,000 to each federal like representative, is that like the House of Representatives, Senate, and the president? Or is it like cabinets and all that? Like, do you know how much money is being like spent? on that $40,000 for furniture in total? Uh, I can confirm that it's for the U.S. House and U.S. Senate. I don't know if it's for the cabinet, but I think it's really easy to assume the amount of money that's going to the White House. I mean, look at President Trump. 
he spent billions on on golf outings. In fact, it, when there, you talk about some, spending billions on yeah. golf outings, you should expect you should explain where the billions comes in because, like, I was really confused about that. And, like, I yeah. have like already explained that. It's not like he's directly spending billions, but like, you you, you explain you explain it. Oh yeah, that's a that's a very good point, Gautam. Um, so first of all, uh, you need to understand is that everything the president does is taxpayer funded, except for campaigning. So the Air Force One, the plane that the president takes because it's the safest plane and that's the best way to transport him, the all the fuel, the staff, the food, the security detail, every single penny comes from taxpayer money. And the issue is, I'm okay with the president or any president going for a diplomatic mission using that plane, you know, using the millions of gallons in order to fly that plane, uh, the millions of man hours that's necessary to, you know, provide a safe passage for catering and stuff like that, because we pay their uh, salaries and bills. But the issue is you're telling me the president's using taxpayer money for leisure during a global pandemic, during a global depression. I think that's pretty useless spending. Yeah, so, like, to summarize what uh, Dertuan is saying, is basically, like, it's not that the president directly spends billions of dollars going golfing, but rather, because he goes golfing, our tax money has to be spent to protect him, when really he doesn't have to go golfing as often. So, like, so like yeah, what's the way I'm, to, like, no, solve that? No, I'm fine with my president. Because, oh, like, when you think about it, um... The president should obviously be using Air Force One for the things that he needs. But if he's also using Air Force One, which is the same plane that he uses for things he needs to do, like, um, are you saying that, like, the president should spend his own money on the fuel that he uses for his leisure? No, no, no. So I think, like, personally, I'm fine with, you know, like, President Trump or, like, if Biden, since Biden's, like, projected elected president, Biden goes... Golfing, like, I'm fine with that, but I think Trump does it, like, too often to the point where it mm-hmm. costs unnecessary money. And yeah. I think, yes, that we should be using Air Force One to protect the president because, you know, he's a very important individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trump, obviously, I mean, personally. Yeah. I, yeah, like, I do what do you think, Dertuan? Yeah. Oh, no, no. We need protection for the president because they are the most powerful person on this earth. It's just unnecessary trips. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but in Scotland, okay? So uh, Pence actually went over to Scotland before the pandemic for, I think, a, I guess, like a G7 meeting, something like that. I, I, I kid you not. He could have stayed in a hotel across from where they were meeting. Instead, he stayed at the Trump golf course, which is, I think, over 300, 400 miles away. Think about the gas. Like, that's so unnecessary. That's Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And also, it's what pisses me off is that we have the Republicans talking about the deficit and the debt, but no one questions this. But when it comes to helping people, ah, oh, nah, man, I'm sorry, we don't have the money right now. Are you kidding me? So oh. earlier you said something about like, yeah. um, you said the plan for like your ideal plan for UBI is to give people $12,000 a year, right? Because that puts them above the poverty line. Or at least add it, yeah. Yeah. So, and you said people argue that like it makes people not want to work. So, if you give them money, but and to counteract that, you said it's only twelve thousand, right? So, 
they're, they're still going to have to work anyway. Does anyone come back and ask you, well, if this is only 12000 how is it even going to help them? Like, how is $12,000 a year going to help someone? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So first of all, one in three people in this country who require federal assistance don't get it. So with the universal basic income, we're already covering so many people who need it, who are getting $0 right now. So it's already a benefit. And second thing is that, uh, how do I say this? I'm trying to think. I think personally, during the pandemic, it should be above $1,000 because we are in an extreme depression right now and people need as much money as they can get because we don't want them to be suffering. We want them to be able to, you know, take it easy, stay at home, lock down, quarantine so that we don't keep spreading COVID. But with $1,000, it's already helping them with rent because let's take us, for example, okay, because we would receive it because we're 18, okay? Let's, I'm right now living on campus, okay? Uh, my rent is about 650, okay? I only make $400 from work because I have to take care of classes. I have to take care of other opportunities. And thankfully, I'm very privileged to have my parents' parents' financial backing. But enough who doesn't have the same financial backing as you or me, for example, who would need to work, let's say, 30 to 40 hours a week, take care of winning credits of class, and try to get an internship so that they don't fail in the future, we want to provide them with a cushion. If we provide them with $1,000 a month, guess what happens right there? One, their rent is taken care of. Two, they can take care of food. Three, they have extra money in the case that next month, for example, they have an unexpected cost of books, right? So that's already helping in very small steps. And then for, let's say, working class families, some fam- actually not some families, a majority of families can't afford childcare to go to work. With $1,000 a month, they can set aside perhaps $600 to send their kids to a daycare outside the pandemic, right? And then they can go to work. And so they don't have to worry about where their kids are going to be uh, before school, after school. So it's these small, small things that people forget are actually on working class families, like budgets that we can help with. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, let's say, okay, like, like my family, like, I think like my dad has like $120,000, I think, put away from my college. But if he got an extra $12,000, Right. Let's say from the time I was born till the time I turned 18. So $12,000 a year for 18 years is like two. Yeah, like, that's like 200000 yeah. 214000 something dollars. No, that's not, probably not right. But like a little of more than $200,000. That's my college tuition, like easily taken care of. Like, and mm-hmm. he was already living like comfortable. Like, I still think that like it's something that like everybody could use. And like, it definitely is something that's very, wait, Dertwan, what's the, uh, what's the cost for UBI? Yeah, so so this is where it gets a little complicated. I don't want to sound like a non-answer, but so first of all, if you do $12,000 times 330 million, okay? Or let's say 270 because that's the number of adults in this country. It's about $3 trillion and that's face value, okay? But you have to understand is that it's a it's technically a net transfer. Does that make sense? So let's say Gautam- No, like, I don't know what that is. Okay, so- Let's say I make $120,000 a year, okay? I pay $20,000 in taxes. And then I get $12,000 back. So technically, I paid $8,000 in taxes, right? 
And oh, so that, okay, I see. Yeah. that, mm-hmm. that 8,000 goes back. So it's, it's around like, I think, I think two to $3 billion or no, sorry, $500 billion and not 3 trillion. And then people who are rich pay more. And so in fact, for rich people, UBI doesn't jack. Like if someone's can you, can making, you, can you define rich people? Because that's like very vague. What, let's say four hundred thousand dollars a year and above, because that's okay. only one percent of the country. Oh yeah, yeah. So I see. Like, it making giving tax cuts to everyone is very complicated. But like, if you give us the same number of universal basic income, like the lower amount of money you make, it's proportionally going to help you even more than someone who's like really rich. It, yeah. it does really nothing for them. Exactly. And another counter argument to UBI, especially from uh, especially from liberals, actually, is that why do we have to give it to everyone? Right. And the best answer for this is that, one, we don't want to stigmatize government checks because look what looks what look what's happening right now. When we provide welfare checks to uh, low income households, guess what happens? People call that corporate handouts. They have such or not corporate handouts, government handouts. They have such a negative connotation of it. And guess what happens? We see racial stereotypes coming out of it. We see economic stereotypes coming out of it. They say working class people are lazy. When That's not even close to being true, but we don't want that stereotype to perpetuate. With universal basic income, there's no discrimination. Because right now, with bureaucracy, you're always going to see, I guess, deviations or you're always going to see a particular group getting more money than the other. Like, look what happened with PP. Uh, P, the, the, I guess the small business loans back in uh, May, they gave it more to white owned businesses than minority owned businesses. Do you know that? Uh, so when you're, when you're talking about like, um, like UBI and like the whole entire, like the social problems it can cause, like if you don't have it and it's just government handouts and government checks, like, you're saying UBI basically dodges like social issues that are deeper rooted in our country because when you universalize it, it's not specific to anybody. You can't just say, oh, it's um it's a government handout because everyone gets it. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, the way Yang puts it, it, it's it's a pretty capitalist explanation of it. He's like, in a in when you own stocks in a company like Microsoft, right, you actually get a dividend uh, at the end of the year. So we're pretty much paying us citizens to thank them for being us citizens. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just think of it as, uh, like that. We want you to succeed in this country. And so we're going to provide you a cushion. And actually there's been many studies where people who got UBI, they tended to do the passions. They are actually, they actually care about. We saw more volunteering. We saw more community activism. We saw more people going into the arts, doing music, doing art, and stuff like that. And I feel like we're missing that right now. And also even with lawyers, for example, like I wanna go to law school and I wanna do civil rights, but that's not gonna make me money. And do I really want to sell my soul for two years and give up two years of trying to help people who are you know, being attacked by the government by other bad actors? Or do we wanna provide an incentive to do what you want so that our society can progress further in terms of compassion. That's a very humanistic theory, obviously, but uh, I hope um, I'm relaying across the economic and the uh, societal benefits of UBI.
mm-hmm. when you talk about like the economic benefits so, like ubi like are you taking money that's being spent elsewhere and giving it back to people or is the government essentially printing new money like yeah, so there's two ways to go about it. I personally don't think that we need to print new money. And in fact, let me add another arg- counter argument. They say that inflation happens with money entering, yeah, that's, right? That's what I was thinking. That's I what was I was thinking. thinking. Yeah, I was thinking that like if you print money and give twelve thousand dollars a year to everybody, like the twelve thousand dollars becomes less than twelve thousand dollars real quickly. But yeah, or like prices yeah, so- for an item are like to control like how many people can buy an item, depending on like how valuable they want that item to be. But if more people are able to access that item, doesn't that make the price of the item go up? Yeah, so that two things. Uh, yeah, that, that absolutely does. And that is a big counter argument. So the first thing is that UBI will be inflation adjusted every single year because otherwise it becomes useless, right? Um, it's going to be inflation adjusted every year. And second thing. I think in 2017, with the Trump tax plan or something else with corporate bailouts, the Treasury printed $4 trillion, and we did not see a single percentage point or a single tenth of a percentage of inflation. $4 trillion. So, one, I feel like there's not going to be that much inflation because we've already put so much money in the economy and we haven't seen it yield inflation. And two... When communities have more money, they also have economic freedom. So let's say, for example, go to Target, okay? And the price of bananas just went up to uh, 2%. You're not going to buy the banana there. You're going to probably go to a, a different store and find a cheaper one. Am I right? Because you have economic freedom now. Mm-hmm. And now Target is going to realize that, oh, crap we're losing business for losing customers because we jacked up the price too much. We got to lower it a little because economics. <laughs> and so I feel like we're not going to have too much uh, issues with inflation because we already put money everywhere except the people. And uh, a quick thing, I'm so sorry. This is this UBI is such a complicated policy. So 100% check out our website, but two, um, we've seen when we put money in communities of color, because they're disproportionately lower income communities. We saw businesses actually boom. So let's take community A, okay? And if, let's say 12,000 residents get $12,000, right? Where are they going to spend it? They're going to spend it in their local grocery stores, in their local bodegas, in, you know, privately owned businesses. And that's going to help the community prosper at least a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So like essentially what you're saying is when you give people more money, you're giving people more economic freedom. And when people have more money to spend, the the corporations, it increases competition among the corporations. So it kind of restrains them from making their prices higher because when you when there's so much competition, um, you, it just doesn't allow them, allow them to do that. Yeah, and that's assuming like we don't have monopolies like phone companies, mm-hmm, AT&T, right. Verizon, you know, we have to break those monopolies yeah. up. But in other industries, I don't think so it should be too much of an issue. Um, when you said, like, you were providing examples in the Netherlands, other, like, uh, Nordic countries, and also South Carolina, you said that UBI funds, or in the studies, like, improve, like, or made people more likely to, like, feel more productive or want to do that work. Obviously, there might have been that correlation, but, like, what's the reason for that happening, for people wanting to be more productive or, like, put more into their community? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. Let me give an example that I feel like it can relate to a lot of students. Let's say you have a week where you have three papers due, okay? And they're back to back and you have other homework. You have academic stress. You're and guess what happens? It's like the each paper gets worse as it goes on because you're so busy, you're getting burnt out, right? And yeah. now take that with economics. Take that with income. If someone is struggling every single month to put food on the table, to pay their rent, to take care of their kids, spend time with their kids, they're going to be burnt out. They're going to have stress. They're going to have so much burden. And when they go to work, that's another stress. And we want to alleviate that with economic compensation. So when people have a, a healthier mental state, they're more likely to be, more, uh, to be productive because they have less stress on them. Does that make sense? I see. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's the lack of stress that allows people to like loosen up and be able to enjoy things a little bit more. And I, yeah. And I like in my business class for sure. Like we like something that we've like learned about like management is like things such as like like money or like getting raises or like promotions. Like giving them to people don't really like incentivize them, but rather like making them feel like their voices are heard or like giving them like uh like a like a role to play and like their goals for that year like, like encourage them way yeah. more than like simple like like just helping like like monetary so like i feel like that makes sense like when you like obviously like ubi is monetary but like since it allows them to be able to enjoy themselves more thus it like results in like more product productivity so that makes sense yeah. yeah oh yeah and another thing i really want to bring up is that we're forgetting that human value is priceless and yet we keep giving economic value being zero. Like, for example, let's say our parents, right? At least for my mom, she's a stay-at-home mom. And the amount of work she does to raise me and take care of our family is 100% priceless. I'm completely indebted to her. But our society provides an economic value of zero dollars. And that's not right. That's not moral. You know? And so it, there's so many facets to UBI. It's monetary. It's humanistic. It's in the, at the empathy for people. And also, we have to understand is that UBI can also like, help with drug overdoses, help with alcohol abuse. Like as I was saying with mental health, a lot of times when people get stressed, they turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol. And in Ohio, we have more prescription more prescriptions for opioids than we have people in Ohio. That's a huge issue. Well, that's also a big pharma we have to take care of, but you know, we need to provide less stress on people to turn to these drugs because mental health and drug abuse and alcohol abuse is very connected. So you're talking about a lot of these things like, oh, we also need to go after like monopolies. We need to go after like big pharma. So why should we go over, why should we chase UBI first instead of going after these other like, problems with corporations yeah um, first of all corporations spend so much money on lobbying and they pay so much for our politicians it, it could take decades we need immediate compensation 300,000 americans are dead more than a million are homeless okay we have 55 million americans in poverty okay the current administration is trying to rip away the affordable care act which can take away 20 million people from their health insurance. We see 500,000 people each year declare bankruptcy because of medical bills. We have $1.5 trillion in student debt. You know, We need immediate 
solutions. We need aggressive solutions. And whenever we do incrementalism, we get nowhere. Like, let's look at racial equality, okay? They did incrementalism, and it, it took until the 1960s for the institution of white people to understand that people of color are equal to them. And to this day, we still have racial disparities in healthcare, in uh, school, in so many facets of life, almost every facet of life. So I think we need aggressive policies. Dude, on the um, note of racism, yeah. someone at my job today walking with a Confederate flag hat, my jaw dropped. Mm-hmm. I was like, no way. Yeah. No way, no way did this crazy. dude just walk in with a Confederate flag hat. Was and, he wearing a mask? Yeah, no, he wasn't wearing a mask, and <laughs> my manager asked him to wear a mask, and instead of, like, putting the mask around his ears, he just held it up to his face. I was like, and he was, like, trying to do everything with one. I was like, bro, yeah. just, just put it on, bro. It blew it's probably my easier mind. for him to put it on. Than it blew my mind. Yeah, like, you see people, like, walking in the stores, like, they put, like, the inside of their hoodie up to their nose. I'm like, I'm sure it's easier to wear. <laughs> see, this is the thing. Um... We're all, we're all from Illinois. Uh, actually, are you from Illinois too? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we live in, uh, how do I say, a brown a bubble. bubble. It's Does literally make... a bubble, bro. Yeah, it's it, because look, we have 60% white people, 40% people of color in our schools, right? And especially Niqua, it's a little higher, but Matia is 60 Dude, 40. Yeah. But then we go to predominantly white institutions where we're not living in neighborhoods where every single neighbor is South Asian. We're living in neighborhoods where 80% of people are white. How's Ohio? So, okay. So I go to Ohio Wesleyan university. If somehow you're listening to this and you don't know who I am, (laughs) but, um, yeah. So my, my, okay. So I feel like it's a little bit different for me because my university is really small. There's 1600 kids. And it's kind of, like, nestled in a neighborhood almost. So in the neighborhood, whenever I go to, like, the UDF nearby or other, like, stores or, like, salons or some shit, like, Walgreens, like, the community is always, like, white. Like, I think at my job, I've only seen, like, I've probably seen, like, 10 black people, like, four Asian people. I think I saw one family of Indian people once. Yeah. Other than that, everyone's just white. So, like, to me, it's, like, last night I noticed right away. But then over time, I was like, shit, we're all the, like, people of color. It's just something that, like, I noticed. But also, like, at my university, there's no – very, it's very, very, very few people here who are, like, a minority. And also, we're born in America. Like, all the minorities are people who are, like, international students. But also, I feel like that might just be something for my school because, like, OSU probably has, like, a huge Indian American brown kid population. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so at UW, uh, um, the reason their diversity rates are a little up is because a lot of the people of color, or especially in the Asian American community, community are international students. So I get that. You know, it's very small uh, to see, what's it called, Asian Americans who are born in America, or at least are have permanent residency in the United States. It's very rare. And in fact, um, I don't know if you know this, Gautam, but more kids of color, or more students of color leave this university or transfer out than transfer in. That makes sense. Like, I can understand that. Oh, no. It's, it's, it's so bad. And what's it called? I, I, like, South Asians are very – we're a privileged minority community. We can – let's be fully honest, you know? We don't have oh, – 100%. 
we don't have the overt racism, but mm-hmm. here, man, it's it's so bad. Yeah, yeah. The students, yeah, black yeah, students here. I was gonna say that's the thing. Like, I was, was going to say, the black, uh, black students here have, have to deal with so much, and it is so disheartening. Like, you see white people openly saying N-word. I don't know if you know this, but three of our fraternities used to be KKK uh, recruiting organizations back in the 1900s, I think in the 60s, actually. That's not even, 80, that's not even a century ago. It's crazy. It's like 80 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> fucking insane. Like, when you guys talk about, like, a bubble that we're in, um, we're, uh, like, in Illinois, we live in, like, a brown bubble. Like, that's something I don't want to say I'm worried about, but it's something I'm a little skeptical about when I go on a campus. Like, I've heard mixed opinion. I've heard people say, like, um, like you find other Indians on campus and it almost feels the same. But I've also heard, like, it's completely different because I, like, I look at like my friends right now, and they're predominantly. Oh, Akshay, just wait. <laughs> no, no, we have a, this insane Indian friend group, and it's not even just brown; it's fucking Indian. Like we only have like what, like this is Eunice and like Yomo. Those are the only ones who are like are like mm-hmm. not from India. Yeah, dude, and no, Yomo is from. Yeah, we have like from fucking, twenty plus like, people Indian. But anyway, yeah, like, there's like this group million, of like bro. he's Indian, what, like combining the BTI groups, Alan Chang, like Buddha Blasters. It's like 40, 40 and then there's a Buddha tw- blast. Oh, it's completely like Indian. Blue face, like yeah. Oh, sorry. We there was this summer. So like, fucking, we've been in a bubble like, of like chat names. Like around there's like 50, 50 to sixty brown just, people, like, brown kids general. who all know each other, and like yeah, it's and, like, honestly especially amazing. like the guys. But it's I, I'm not gonna find like, that. We're mm-hmm. all friends, or like you know, we're not like best friends. But like we're all chill. We all hang out because we all have the same mentality. And like when you get on a campus. You're gonna find that like other brown kids, even if they're like brown, you're not gonna be able to get along with them because you're gonna have like this different like vibe. Because I feel like we've known each other for so long that like it's not just a bubble of like brown people, but brown people who think like you. Like when I got here on the campus and I met all these other like international students, it was kind of weird for me at first because they just had like such a different sense of humor, and like they just like didn't like they didn't laugh at my jokes. Like I had to kind of like change the way I say jokes. Like it's definitely like a huge shock, bro. It's, yeah it's it's like like in our school like it's almost like an auto segregation that happens it's not like i'm going out of my way to like say oh i'm only gonna be friends with indian people but it just happens automatically when i look at all the people i'm talking to right now it's like 90 percent brown people and it's not even something i try to do it just happens because i don't know when i see a brown person i just assume that oh I see that's a, that. that happened to me at matia like that's the exact same thing and you know what's funny is that all the brown communities or the South Asian community in Matia, Wabanzi, and Niqua, they know each other too. So it's like a huge, it's like an yeah, overall exactly. like community. And let me tell you something. It's, it's just because <laughs> there is that connection of background, you know, you, because you know they're going to get it. Where you're like, oh, I had Subji today. I had Nan today. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have someone being like, oh, my God, is that spicy? You know, like that. You know, you don't have to deal with it. And you, you always have, like, a few people, like, few people like that. Yeah, yeah but that's like outside, with. but that's not, like, 90% of your friends. And I feel like, I, I feel like our friend mm-hmm. group's kind yeah, of, yeah. I, I have a lot of uh, Niqua. I mean, like, I'm oh, literally. Yeah, sure. like <laughs> that, that's very well said. And I, I actually, Gautam, I, I have to, I have to agree a lot with, um, with what you're saying. It's like, when you meet, like, brown students at UW, for example, it's like, there is a little bit of a, 
a disconnection because it's two different backgrounds, especially international students and students here, you know? Oh, bro. International students, bro. Oh, they're so different, bro. I know. Yeah, because... They're just, like, it's different. It's, like, a very... Yeah. Definitely, it's, like, you're meeting someone for the first time in your life who's the same as you, and you expect them to be, like, yo, what's up, bro? We get it. And they just have a completely different upbringing, and it's it's a shock, honestly. But, like, I still vibe with them. Those are my friends. You vibe with them. Yeah, my roommate yeah. is black, and literally all his friends are black. And he's like, I'll just walk up to, like, an African-American dude, and I'll just be like, what's up? I won't even know him. And now he's got a friend. Like, I try to, like, in my UC one, like, I know at UIUC, they have to take a LAS class. I don't know if there's yeah. one at, like, that, at, like, UW-Madison, but, like, here's UC-160. Like, on the first day, they were like, here's a survey. Okay, now, you strongly agree or disagree? All the kids in your friend group are, like, predominantly like the same race like i'm pretty sure it's supposed to like shock white kids i mean like oh my god i have no friends in minority like for me i was like oh my god i have no fucking friends who aren't indian bro or like, aren't <laughs> like it's insane yeah seriously but oh come on yeah. let's be fully honest there's like a little less stress with it because i i don't know how to explain this but it's like the small things that kind of piss you off you know I once hung out with a group of white people before the pandemic freshman year, and I got called stuff like, hey, you have a distinct Indian smell when I ate American food the entire day, or hey, um, you seem like a foreigner to me. Like, it's, it's, it doesn't piss me off, it annoys me. Yeah, and, yeah it's like a microaggression, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, like, bruh, like, like bruh, like a yeah. bruh. The, it, it's yeah. a huge problem, and Akshay is going to be in for a surprise when he gets to this campus. Yeah, I'm. I it, I've thought about this like almost every day, and like it it does not help that like even the days I've thought about this, I go hang out and, with. But like, hey, on the bright side, hey, on the and bright then I come back and think about it even more. So you won't even be able to meet people anyways, bro. I mean, <laughs> and also take your poison. Take your poison. So you're saying it's better if I just don't see this one. And also, <laughs> oh, I was gonna say, actually, I'm on campus. You know what I'm saying? Like, case scenario, like mm-hmm. if you yeah. like, can't meet other people, like we can socially distance. Yeah, uh, I maybe I don't have my <laughs> person friend group yet, but the, yeah, I can start okay, with I'm one person. Sure that fifty person shit will never happen again. Like. Dude, that shit is, I don't even know how that shit happened, bro. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's something we take for granted. Like, especially after, um, after I go on campus, I'll realize that, like, it's not even, like, we try to, like, it's not like we had an Indian student association. Yeah, it's not like we all, like, said, met hey, up, but, like, free vada after school or some shit, bro. It's, like, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't Dude, know. Like, if you think about, like, how it all formed, like, fucking, like, like, I met, like, Arjun and Superteak freshman year, and then, like, Arya joined, and then, like, Rasheel and Jonah, like, came in, and the fucking, like, and then the Buddha Blasters just formed, and then, like, the Blue Face were happy, and then the senior year, yeah, the Buddha everything Blasters just, like, essentially like, like a glove, like just, like, spit in the place, other half and, like, like other BTI people. helps so much, like, yeah, yeah, honestly, and, like, I met all these other Indian kids, cr- yeah. no, honestly, what's happened, like it mainly happened because of like the pandemic. Like let's say, like school got canceled around like or not canceled. It yeah. Online around March thirteenth. I talked about this in my like in the first episode of the podcast. But us, the Buddha Blasters, were already friends. Like half of it was like the chess team who were friends throughout the entire like time in high school, and half of them were like other people 
and we we're all just like a great friend group and very intense group chat but once um school ended we just started talking every night on house party and then as we met more people we've kind of like expanded the venn diagram and like there's so many links that we've created in the venn diagram throughout the summer that like it's crazy because oh, yeah. it's all indian people and it's like probably like six five to six circles in this venn diagram and there's so many people that overlap different like groups and it like, this, like that kind of happened with me like getting into the nico kind of group you know what i'm saying like i knew neil aria rashio because of speech mm-hmm. and then i just slowly got like added in over the pandemic i'm pretty sure it happened over the pandemic actually no it did yeah oh, oh no it, it's been awesome you guys you guys are awesome and i just want to bring up a point i'm gonna be Honest, like this has probably been my best semester because I, I've I've hung out with more Asian Americans than I have white people, and that's saying something. So this semester, I worked for the Wisconsin Asian Americans for Biden campaign, and dude, every single day I was on a Zoom call with five to ten Asian Americans in Wisconsin. I'm also on like the National Asian American Caucus board, so that's like another thing, and it was so it felt so nice because you had so many other people who felt the same exact thing, you know, like you can low key rant and no one would get offended because they're like, Hey, that happened to me too. Oh yeah. But like also, I'm not saying that all white people suck because since we're going to a school of predominantly white people, I have friends who are white and they're chill. It's just that like, I don't know how to put it. Like, can you explain that? Yeah, I got you. It just you miss like the dynamic you had with your Indian friends that I got you, know, you just can't get with them. I, I know exactly how to explain it. I do have white friends. Please, please don't get me wrong. I do have white friends, but it's it's a small. <laughs> you guys don't dislike white uh, people. It's it. <laughs> it's the institution <laughs> it's just, of the white yeah. community that's that's a little off putting. You know, like the white people friends you do get, they're homies. You know, they're chill. They're not like saying stupid shit to you, and. You know, they're most likely left-wing, too, let's be fully honest, okay? And so is this, like, a different vibe? It's the same dynamic as your other friends. But there's not that same cultural upbringing, you know? Like, let's be honest. Like, a lot of people in the South Asian community, especially our parents, are immigrants. I'm an immigrant, right? And so we can connect with people who have similar backgrounds than we can with a white suburban family. They're, like, you know, the white picket fence house. Uh, you know, oh, all my friends, you know, we used to play in the park every day. And then for me, it's like I grew up in an apartment complex most of my life. I didn't really meet other people in my neighborhood because there weren't kids. And so there's like that disconnect, you know, um, when you know how we have like the, the like a lot of people have the yearly India trip. Yeah. Yeah, they're not going to get that. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to be like, I went to France, Switzerland, Germany. And we're like, I went to meet my grandmother. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's a different vibe. And also, it's... Yeah. yeah. It's not even like when we're with Indian people. It's not like we're just making like Indian jokes the entire time. That's no, like no, it's not even 10%, 10% like of the jokes. I want to say yeah. you grow out of it after 8th grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's what that's that Lily Singh humor, bro. Like, yeah. No. It's not <laughs> making jokes about yourself. Like, we just like that's just not funny in general. Yeah, it's not like we're friends with the Indian people because of because Indian. I like, Indian like if you're a white person, if you're a white person, white person this, that's not like think illegal. about it. Like, if you have a friend group that's all white, you guys 
it's not like seventy percent of your jokes about like, Haha, dude, we're white. <laughs> that's not that's it's not the same thing with like Indian people <laughs> or Asian people or fucking Mexican people. Like it's all it's no, how it is. Right. Yeah. And also the reason like I feel like most minorities get like kind that's of turned not the off or not turned off, but, like turned away from like maybe making friends with a white person as opposed to someone who's a minority, because you really only ever see like that. You only really only ever see people who are like like uh like racist or like maybe like right wing or like hardcore right wing you're like get kind of like turned away if if they're white like i like here i'll see like a group of white people and they'll all be like kind of racist or that like a racist vibe but i won't see like a group of like indian people or like black people or like mexican people who are like or like latino people who are like like yeah like that you know what i'm saying i don't know if i'm explaining yeah. that right, but like i don't know like i it just it just i i'm not like saying that um white people are more inclined to be racist or anything because i you hear like a lot of um indian people who have like this like their family has like a background of racism not against like black people or mexican people but back in like where they're from maybe like different um different types of indian people like there's um like indian people don't like pakistani people sometimes and vice versa like it's just obviously like an indian person one of our indian friends not liking pakistani people it's not gonna be shown as much in our country because we are have more like, problems focus on um not liking discrimination against black people like mexican people and other pocs but i wouldn't say that white people are more inclined to be racist than indian people just because um we notice it more than when see that's the thing i'm gonna have to disagree with that because this country was built on the empowerment of the white community right so they're 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 naturally actually not naturally like let's be fully honest our identity as poc is constantly question of being american like we're we we have to refer to ourselves as indian american we have to refer to uh, refer to ourselves as bangladeshi american but white people it's i'm american you know what i'm trying to say it's it's been built it's been built i'm sorry you have that like sense Dude, every one of us has written or tried to write or like thought of that piece where it's like, what's your identity? And you're like, well, my parents come from India, but I don't fit in with that Indian culture when I visit there. And so you say, well, you were born in America, so you should fit in with American culture. I say, but I don't fit in with that either. It's like so weird, especially for people like first generation, like kids like us who were born in America. But I feel like, you know, I mean, like there's a lot of privileges of like, I feel like everyone relates to that sentiment. Like, I don't belong in either place. Oh, no. That happens so often. But uh, just to go back on one thing. One thing we really got to change with the South Asian community specifically is being apolitical. I think that's a huge problem. Because, let's be honest, this pandemic, we saw the subtle racism of the older South Asian generation come out, especially with Black Lives Matter. Like my family, my parents are not, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. they're super left and they understand that it's solidarity amongst minorities and that we have inherent privilege and we must use this privilege to continue to help the oppressed black community. But then you hear some people's parents are like, say the same lines as the, as people from the white community, you know what I'm saying? And we, we got to stop this. We got to nip, nip it at the bud because we cannot be part of the problem, you know? We we have to stand in solidarity. And I feel like a lot of this comes from the fact that 
Uh, how do I say this? It comes from the fact that this country has made it us against them. Does that make sense? I feel like the AAPI community has been like put in this box of model minority and they use that model minority to one, suppress us, two, to to make other communities of color look bad. Does that make sense? Oh, no, no, no. I get it. Like, there's this joke. So we have an Instagram group chat as well, like for Alan Chang. And it's kind of it was kind of a joke, but like Forbes put out this article that was like, Indians are like America's most elite minority. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Like, like I feel like, I feel like because a lot of the Indian parents who I've met, or like uncles and aunties, are like, who kind of have that like you know right wing vibe where they're like they don't really understand BLMs. They're like, well, I'm a minority too, and look how successful I am. So why should I care about BLM? Like they should just do the same thing that I did. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Oh, that's 100% what I'm getting yeah. at. And that's a huge issue. You, we have to support other communities. Otherwise, we don't succeed on our own. Like, look at the civil rights movement of the 60s, right? That helped the black community. To a certain extent, it's still, it doesn't help because, let's be honest, there's so many racial inequalities. But it, it provided us to immigrate to this country. You know? We weren't oh, yeah, turned 100%. away. We weren't turned away. And mm-hmm. I think we need to have solidarity in such things. And it's it's a, it's going to be a long process, that's for sure. But I feel like our generation, Gen Z, is catching on the vibe very, very quickly. I don't know if you saw, like, the stat, but youth of color, young voters of color, 83% of them voted blue. 83%. While with white youth, it was 50. You know? We are changing the tide i feel like especially indian americans are starting to realize that we're we're falling into the system and we are being part of the problem and so i feel like we're heading in the right direction but we need to make sure that our our the older generation follows oh yeah something that also blows yeah something that also blows my mind so i don't think like, actually probably hasn't seen this because he hasn't on Instagram, but dervon you probably have dirtwan you probably have like you know that map that people have posted on their like stories where if, like if this group voted, how would each state turn out? And it's like, if only people of color voted, every state is blue. And then another one is like, if only uneducated college or uneducated white men voted, every state is red. Like, I just find that like, so interesting how if only people of color voted in every state, every state would be, every state would be blue. Like, doesn't, I feel like it says something. So like, I feel like, I understand how people can just ignore that. You know, yeah, what you and you know what? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, actually. Yeah, actually, what are you saying? Oh, I was just saying, like, are you, uh, when you talk about, uh, like, the South Asian community and um, how we need to be more responsible when it comes to, um, like, racism, and especially during the Black Lives Matter time and the pandemic, are you saying instead of um, feeling, like, sympathetic towards the Black people during Black Lives Matter, like, a lot of South Asian, a lot of the South Asian community, like, it's, uh, they didn't show sympathy, rather they were like, oh, I had to go through this too, and... It's, it wasn't really like they understood each other rather than um, rather than they were just as separate from like, See, black like I think it was best put by Gautam when he used the auntie example right the the, the hey, hypothetical uncles and aunties it's, let's not be sexy oh okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> uncles and aunties it, it, it's 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 that it's it's like oh I did it why why couldn't they do it is a very very ignorant statement and, and, and this goes to the broader question of race is that mm-hmm. it is yeah. complicated. It's not going to be fixed overnight. 
like there are inherent inequalities and inherent privilege that we need to we need to constantly learn and help you know we need to we need to platform leaders in the black community we need to platform leaders in the latinx community hispanic community cuban community puerto rican you know because they've had a very different experience like we've had colonialism right mm-hmm. but like we we weren't enslaved we 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 didn't have to go through centuries of absolute oppression we you don't know try to say it's like it's a very different story the institutional racism in america is on a completely different level when it comes to like black african americans and then when you talk about indians or like maybe like uh like pakistanis or like middle easterns these aren't people who were institutionalized in like for hundreds of years like their families have been institutionally like racist like like oppressed by like they're the elites like they're like probably the smarter ones from their communities coming from outside countries into america and getting higher jobs it's not like this do you understand what i'm trying to get at it's like it's not exactly the same kind of comparison when you say well i'm in a minority and i succeeded and i succeed in america too like i feel like it's not the same it's not the same in the way exactly and just to quickly turn this conversation to something extremely extremely recent it's it's with the election so i want to say one quick shout out is that i'm telling you that georgia came through and i promise you it was because of the young and really passionate black community black organizers in georgia that made that state blue and the issue is we see so often voters of color organizers of color who put so much effort into getting a blue president and yet when it comes to policies they turn that away does that make sense no i 100% agree like for example biden okay first of all i want to break up another policy that's on our website it's called rank choice voting which puts an majoritarian uh rule on elections but so oh yeah of course so biden won 30% of the votes which is a plurality yeah. that means that 70% of the democratic voters did not want biden as a nominee and guess what happened once the primary was ended after obama called klobuchar and pete buttigieg to drop out and cons- consolidate with biden and push it against progressives we had a president who has created the modern day jim crow era the 1994 crime bill he's the same person for bipartisan support wanted to cut social security and medicaid who has also continued illegal government surveillance and went ruthlessly after edward snowden who should be pardoned and he's the same person who wrote the bankruptcy bill which makes it harder for students to declare bankruptcy because of student loans he has done so many evils in this country he has supported the iraq war Okay he has spent time with the segregationists and yet we have to support him as a president and he won't even try to help communities of color instead he gives us useless platitudes I don't care you're going to be America's president I want universal healthcare I want a $15 minimum wage I want federal legalization of marijuana and using that tax revenue to invest in the black community who have been disproportionately affected by it I want you to remove mandatory minimums I want you to rectify the 1994 crime bill 
and guess what? None of that's going to happen. And look at all the effort we put in, in Wisconsin. We like the Asian American community and the black community and the Latinx community. We brought the margin to flip Wisconsin blue. Right. And what are we getting in return? We're getting a right wing healthcare plan that was created by the Heritage Foundation that's called Obamacare. And we're not getting a left wing plan that covers 100 percent of Americans. It's it's really disheartening. Uh, I, I'm so sorry. But what's your I opinion guess... on um, Kamala Harris? Harris, B. Harris. OK, like, what's your opinion on her? First of all, uh, I'm very glad that we we uh, broke the the race barrier and the gender barrier in the VP position. But the issue is they played identity politics with us. If you've looked through Kamala Harris's record, it's not pretty. When she was prosecutor of California, she declined to prosecute Steve Munich, who was committing illegal foreclosures on seniors. And do you know why she declined it? Because she got money from him for her Senate campaign. She's also received contributions for her Senate campaign from Trump. She has criminalized single black moms with truancy. She has laughed in the face of the legalization of marijuana. She has been so tough on marijuana convictions that disproportionately affected the black community. She has not even received popular support of the Democratic primary. She is a corporate Democrat to her core. And uh, I'm just saying it's like it's a true identity politics move. It, they were not trying to to get someone who was really progressive. Because look what happened. She used to support Medicare for All. She used to support the Green New Deal. She used to support stimulus payments during the pandemic. And then guess what happened? She joins the ticket, everything drops. Everything gone out the window. You know what I'm trying to say? Uh, that's my opinion of her. Yeah, I understand Let's... where you're coming from. But I, I lowkey agree because um, like, I've met a lot of kids here who are like, so like one kid that I'm friends with, like he's very like blue, blue, blue. He's like, yeah, fuck yeah, Biden. I feel like he's just saying that because he hates Trump, but he like, like when I when I tell him like, bro, yeah, fuck Trump, but like also fuck Biden and fuck like Senator Harris. Like, I only say Senator Harris because I literally don't know how to say her first name. But like, oh, it's uh, it's Kamala, Kamala. or or, or come uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. Senator I'm trying Harris. to think of the Senator Harris. Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> like like I feel like some people like don't understand like this isn't like this isn't the end of. Like, this isn't the end. It's simply, like, the first step. Like, getting Trump out and Biden in is simply the first step to, like, a long-ass process to making many, many amends. And I feel like it just it just makes me so sad that we have to, like, put people such as Biden and, and Harris, who, like, yeah, they've done good, but they've also done a lot of bad to in order to like, get rid of even greater evil such as Trump. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's so it's so exciting. Sorry, go ahead, Akshay. And, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, like, like, um, it's great that Trump didn't win, but like, he still got the second most votes a candidate's ever gotten in the history of, like, in the history of the United States. So, like, the deeper problems are in our society, and like, people voting for Trump, like, like the Trump like ideology hasn't gone away just because he didn't win. He still got more votes than yeah, anyone and else who's ever it's 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 something we need to him. understand is that platitudes and empty promises do jack you know what does well actual substantial policies um 
And that's the thing is that there were so many qualified candidates. Okay, so obviously I'm a huge Yang gang, but let me turn you to someone who's an amazing person, amazing ideology, amazing speaker, State Senator Nina Turner of Ohio. Okay, so she was the co-chair of Bernie's campaign. And let me tell you something. You should watch her podcast. You should watch her speak. An amazing person. She gives you so much hope, so much inspiration, and she and she supports the policies that majority of Americans want. Seventy-two percent of Americans want universal health care. Okay, fifty-two percent want universal basic income. In Florida, we saw Donald Trump get elected, but guess what? There was a super majority of Floridians who wanted a minimum wage of fifteen dollars an hour. Like that says something about corporate Democrats. That says something about cor- uh, democratic centrism. Like people support progressive policies because they're populist prog- uh, policies. So I think one thing we need to start understanding is that we can't keep going down this route of moderatism that leads to corporatism. We need populist policies. Uh, there was and okay. Uh, let me. Let me bring up a quick counter argument. There, like, people are going to be like, "Well, in swing districts, it doesn't work." Well, like Katie Porter of California, her district is Republican by three percentage points, yet she's won re-election twice. Okay, progressive. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. We saw Ron T. Uh, mm-hmm. Kim of New York, uh, I think a Senate, a state Senate district, moderate district, right? In the primary, he won 72% of the votes. In the general election, he won 83% of the votes. That's actually, People yeah. are getting sick. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I just agree with you. Like, uh, like your point. Yeah. yeah, it's – come on. Like, come on. Everybody's going to support universal health care. People forget that, one, universal health care saves us $5 trillion over the decade – and it saves us 45,000 lives every year. And also people are like, oh, taxes. Well, first of all, if you get a medical emergency, you probably have to pay $100,000, right? What if you get taxed $5,000 a year? That's already infinitely cheaper. And when we make the rich pay their proper portion of taxes, it's going to go down for you as well. Wait, so, uh, also, I want to talk a little bit more, like, how the election, like, in general, when I know, like, Akshay, we're talking about it, too, like, I just, like, like, a lot of people, yeah. like, oh, bro, my UC-160 class is full of Trump supporters, like, I already know that they're all going to be talking about, like, fuck this election, it's all illegal, like, Akshay, like, what did you have to say about it, bro? The election, uh, like... Um, about like the like the part where people are saying like, like ballots should be counted or... and that's a legal part, or just like election in general. Well, in general, um, I mean, I think it it went well. Um, I'm happy that Joe Biden won. Obviously, um, I'm not as satisfied with like the way he won. I wish he won like quickly, like Ford on Ohio on the first on the first day and. And it was over like that because that would give me more confidence about like the direction this country is heading into. But he he won. And it, it seemed very close for a bit, but now it seems like slightly more of a convincing win. But like the most interesting parts of the election is like how the demographics of the country are changing. Like I would not have expected Georgia or Arizona to flip to blue 
just like playing but, through um, and like just you have so yeah, many minorities and, like, originally like red states Arizona, and it's like you crazy. Have so many and like and I'm just so impressed by the voter turnout and because this election was such a big deal like you have Joe Biden who, who's gotten more votes than anyone who's ever ran for president and Donald Trump in second place I don't know the voter turnout's really impressive and that, what's super interesting to me if Joe Biden wins Georgia then like we have two more Senate seats up for grabs in Georgia and that's going to get really interesting when you have only two candidates in each election rather than like 200 I don't know how many people ran for the for like the Georgia um special election but it was like a lot of Democrats you know, like, and a lot of Republicans, you know what actually blows my mind bro was like, like candidates, it's so that really you know Andrew he sent that video in the ch- group chat like earlier today of that um of that one CNN dude yeah 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 and he was talking about it was a TED talk and he's talking about how Van technically Jones, like the CNN dude. there's a way yeah. Trump can like stay in president without even if he loses the electoral vote. So okay, basically if he so let's yeah, say I he only loses got past the, like a couple minutes the, gen- the like, majority vote, what right? Exactly the same. And then he loses the electoral vote, right? He doesn't give the and he, he just doesn't mm-hmm. give a concession speech and instead he basically just pulls all this like bullshit like litigation of like why it was unfair and everything and basically what's going to happen is it's going to go to the House of Representatives to vote. But instead of um Man, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it, no, they they basically vote on who. No, Wait, basically they the vote on whether they can hand off the election, who's going to be president or, or hand off the But presidency. instead of like, you know, like each representative voting, each. No, no, no. Basically, basically, what happens is like Trump. Are you saying remember, in like, case of a tie, really or in exactly case of reason, just like, use, but he's basically saying like, he can Trump can basically just use like all these like lawsuits to stall like the uh, an actual winner like being like recognized and like all the like because after the concession speech all this like stuff happens behind closed doors with the elected elected officials like okay do this do this do this do this to make Joe Biden the next president because President Trump has said okay you know what I'm out you know what Joe Biden won but if President Trump doesn't do that So you're saying the concession the concession speech no isn't re- really is there a requirement for the isn't concession just a speech in the constitution but like it has every more, single president gives that. a concession speech, but if Trump doesn't give one, because think about it, the concession speech is also like a, telling all the supporters and like campaigners to stand down. It's telling them, "Stand down, we lost, suck it up, like and you know support Joe Biden coming." Yeah, like yeah, the, dude, Trump have you seen the protests like on Snapchat and like Instagram, yeah. just like people saying four more years, like, dude, it's insane. Yeah, they give zero fucks. Like, if, there are a lot of people who believe yeah, every, single, every single thing that the president says. And no matter what, if the president says something is lack of concessions piece or whatever he's going to say, is are you saying, like, um, the reason, like, what Van Jones is saying is so significant? Like, are you saying oh, what yeah, the president 100%. is so, doing right now is, like, yeah, on track? Like, skipping, skipping, yeah. To, like, doing skipping the, the whole step by step process is doing, that whole video, is describing the, the end result that could, is, that could reasonably happen and is perfectly legal is the decision for who should be president between Joe Biden and Donald Trump goes to the House of Representatives. And right, but instead of each representative in the House of Representatives getting a vote for who should be president, each state gets one vote. So for each state, the House of Representatives would all vote. Yeah. So 
Basically, yeah, in that that's case, what happens in it. In I'm pretty sure Donald Trump would win because there's more red states than blue states. So that's how he would stay in president. Donald Trump would win. I just thought that yeah. that blows my mind. Obviously. And I'm, I'm holy crap. Wait, that's in the case of a tie, right? So because but how would they have because, that vote if there was man, no tie? I have to go back. I watched that video this morning. Oh, that's what like I'm several on. different bits while doing my job. But like, basically, tr- it initiates by Trump just throwing a bunch of like legal bullshit and like stalling the counts and basically just like going for like a recount and like saying that the votes aren't like valid and all this shit like all this like litigation and then it just ends up in like the house of representatives and obviously oh my god see okay so to go to a previous point real quick so we saw georgia turn blue right yeah yeah i'm telling you it's because of voter suppression getting Mm -hmm. somewhat overcome that Biden won. Like, voter suppression is so, so pervasive that we can see a lot of states turn blue. In Arizona, the reason it turned blue is because a record number of indigenous people turned out to vote. And they had been denied the right to vote much earlier. In Florida, the reason it was a little closer is because Michael Bloomberg paid um, a fee for former um, incarcerated people to vote. Because oh. in Florida has this thing, something called it's like a poll tax, and it's 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 it's, uh, it's unconstitutional. But no one, I guess, no one's suing for it, or they probably are, but it's getting shut down by right wing judges. But that's like one voter suppression. Two, it's so scary to think that we can have an election stolen by someone who's claiming the election is being stolen. <laughs> like, are, are you kidding me? I love me? how all of his okay. tweets are being Twitter. It's- that's the funniest part. It's not funny. Oh, it's not dude. funny. It's not actually funny. But it's humorous on the fact well, that I know it's what sad. you mean. Yeah. It's like scary funny. You know mm-hmm. how when you like something weird happens, yeah. you kind of like nervous laugh. Yeah. Like that. It, it, it's like we we laugh at it right now because we know we're very confident that Joe Biden's gonna be president and Trump's like saying all this stupid shit and he's gonna just go back and like accept the loss at some point but this is how it like it started four years ago like we didn't take anything trump said seriously and then somehow he ended up becoming president so like i guess we need to take trump's bullshit more seriously right now like him saying all the things oh. about like it's almost like he had this master plan in mind where he he knew exactly what he was gonna say you remember oh, like no dude 100 came out and gave us you know how about, when like, people when trump started running for president in 2015 it, it, it's, he had this master yeah, plan like in, in 2015. I was like, "Oh fuck, bro! Trump for president, bro! Get this shit out of here, bro! It's fucking Simpsons or some shit, bro! Bro, he's literally fucking president, and it was so close. Like, it's people are gonna play it off as a joke, and the same shit is gonna happen once all over again, bro." Oh, Gavin, like, you're cutting out a little bit. Is this me or? Is... Uh, he's good at my part. Oh. Basically, what? It... Oh, okay. But anyways, I'll yeah. <laughs> I'll just interject <laughs> just to mess with you, Gavin. <laughs> Dude, you know what it is, right? So two things we need to understand. Trump won in 2016 because of right-wing populism, okay? He gave hope that we can finally topple the establishment that has been represented for so long by Hillary Clinton, by Bill Clinton, by the Clinton Foundation, right? It was so much of that because guess what Hillary Clinton did? She ran on, oh, orange man bad instead of substantial policy or at least offer like something that Trump was trying to do. And guess what Trump did? In 2016, he went to the Rust Belt. 
He talked to them about kitchen table issues, about outsourcing, about trade deals, about things that the average, average American worker thinks about, right? But then Hillary Clinton didn't do that. She, she kind of took this elitist move. But now this doesn't work for Trump because you know why? He's a complete establishment Demo- uh, Republican, completely establishment. He's stuck in this right-wing bubble. He keeps taking this corporatist point of view. Like in the debate, this is the best thing. This is the best line I think Biden has had in the debate. Trump goes, oh, you know, the stock market is doing well. Uh, 401ks are up. And then Biden goes, the average American does not have stake in the stock market. When Donald Trump looks at the economy, he looks at the stock market. When I look at the economy, I look at the average worker's salary, the average worker's job, you know, like that populist stuff. That resonates with people. And I think if Biden had done that more, damn, this election would have been an absolute landslide, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, landslide? Like, I, I think this election was so polarized that no matter what people said, um, it would only affect the turnout. But I don't think it's going to change anyone's mind. I don't think anyone who is planning on voting for Trump is voting for Biden or vice versa. But um, I guess like going and appealing to more voters can increase um, turnout for people who you want to vote for you. And can I you guess guys respect the biggest or, difference. Sorry. Can you guys respect a Trump voter or be friends with a Trump voter or supporter? I am friends with a few Trump voters. And like, I'm not friends with them because of their political ideology. I'm friends with them because I'm friends with them. And like, I think the other things are just detached from that. See, um... I have one friend who's conservative, but I brought him to the left side because I made him understand the the corruption of the elites and the establishment to understand left wing uh, populist ideas, right? Yeah. So I ha- and he's like he's now he's now left wing, and the issue is is that there is a different set of values with the Trump supporter and me. That's like the bigger dynamic, right? One. Um, as an immigrant, I, I can't, I, I will never scapegoat immigrants because I know the value we add to this country and I know how often this country discredits us, right? Two, um, this idea that the economy is everything about Americans is also something I don't agree with. And, and finally, uh, I think to overlook a lot of the things Trump has done is very harmful. And that's something I don't want to uh, be friends with, you know? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Well, usually when I meet like, it, like, I'm not, when I meet it, I was going yeah. to say to bring up a poll of another point, I'm not friends with people who want to reject Biden's flaws. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not, I just don't vibe with them because it's a lie. Yeah, like people here who are like, oh, I love Biden. I love Biden and fuck Trump. Like, I love Biden. That's the same shit. Like, no, no. What are you not seeing? Like, how do you understand that Biden is also like, dude, he's literally not. Obviously, he's better than Trump, much better, but like, yes. So I don't, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Also, like, when, it, yeah, it's... when an Indian person, like, says they're voting for Trump, Usually, I'm able to talk to them, and like I can. I, the reason they vote for Trump isn't literally they're like, 
well, yeah, he's racist, but like, I don't think he's racist because it, you always hear some but, bullshit like, yeah, they oh, all say yeah, he yeah. says all this stupid shit, but his policies and actions speak louder than words. And like, yeah, they're like, oh, his, his economic, like, he's a, he's a exactly. Republican, so he doesn't want to give away all my money. And yeah, I'm like, like, I don't agree with anything he says, but um, I don't see a problem with his policies. It's absolutely yeah. And another thing is this, okay? I don't know if you know this, but Trump has made $73 million in office from foreign investors and foreign companies. That's already a violation of the Constitution, okay? And his, the, and there's, dude, there's blatant nepotism in his administration. The fact that he's appointed his daughter and son-in-law as official roles in the administration is already jarring. I mean, look, Ivanka and Jared, made a hundred and I think $35 million in one year F- for what? Right. What are their roles? But then again, sure. dude, I have, I have zero idea. It's like advisor and it, it's, they do nothing, man. But then again, I'm not about to sidestep the Biden family. Okay. Before the Trump administration, there were multiple reports of how different members of the Biden family had profited off of VP Biden's position. And like the Burisma thing with Hunter Biden, it is corruption, but this election was not the time to talk about it because 300,000 Americans are dead, 55 million Americans are in poverty. You know what I'm saying? Ah, mm-hmm. oh, dude, we're so stuck in this, like, this system. Uh, wait, what were we talking about before this? Like, right before this? Uh... Oh. oh, right. But like, are you my... Uh... The, the... Oh, my term supporters... Bro, it sounds they're, they don't experience it's not them saying, Oh, I don't care if someone is racist to me because Indian people often like who support Trump, they're like, like Even if he's racist, I don't care, he can be racist to me. That's a, then a white person saying, Oh, it's okay, he can be racist toward a, minor, toward a minority. It's like that's a little bit different, doesn't make oh, sense? Oh, yeah, so then I don't, I don't understand, what yeah, yeah, and you can't, you cannot support Trump without either. Either not acknowledging the fact that he's tolerating racism, that he's racist, like like, racist, just based on what he said on Mm -hmm. about like Islam, Islam alone, or like just being 100% ignorant and just uneducated and just refusing to believe fact. And those are both like, I don't know, those are both tendencies we see in that's why I personally just can't respect someone, or like, just like I just can't like look at you the same if you say if you're like not a minor, not someone of minority, and you say. Uh, I support Trump, or I voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. And another thing is, another thing. This election was. I will. I respect that, but Trump is different. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, there's a huge difference in, in being Republican, being a Trump voter. It's, I'm no, no one. Um, like, there are people who um say like I will not talk to anyone who votes for Trump, and I can, I can completely respect that because if you're not going to talk to someone who's like um who supports like racism and a lot of the issues that um trump has made more prominent in our country but like um i wouldn't respect people saying like i don't support anyone who's republican because then it's a political ideology at that point but being a trump voter is not it's almost not about politics it's about problems way bigger than that and you know, yeah, like, it's you know. it's so much. And here's the thing, too. This election was not a support for Biden. It was a public referendum on Trump. 
Okay, like, 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 let's get that out of the way. Trump has mishandled this COVID pandemic from the beginning. Mm-hmm. In the Bob Woodward tapes, he said that he knew that COVID was worse than the flu. But then in public, guess what he says? Oh, no, it's not that bad because he didn't want to create a panic and tank the stock market. And then on top of that, the USPS had a plan, a substantial plan to give every single American family five masks immediately, free of charge. But no. Trump held it off because he didn't want to create, pan- uh, uh, create a panic. And now look, people are dying left and right. Kitchen tables are empty because people have died from a mismanagement by President Trump. But that doesn't mean that Biden is our hopes and dreams. It's just a referendum on Trump. And I used to be someone who was like, oh, I can't, like, I used to be like, oh, Trump supporter, I won't respect that. Because I was like, you should try and change their mind. But now, after after the past, like, two months, now I've changed my mind. And, like, I can understand if you talk to a Trump supporter because I feel like... Yeah, 100%. It's just... It's, it's not even about politics at that point. Like, dude, remember the... Yeah, because... Yeah, remember the political commons chat where Eunice was like, bro. Eunice literally, literally said, I don't understand what Trump could have done different about COVID. And then I was like... Bro, yeah, and bro. people are always like, he didn't make Corona, like, he didn't make the pandemic. I'm like, if you're gonna refuse to believe science and say that like masks don't work and mock who you're going up against for wearing a mask and then contract the virus and go to the hospital like two months later, then you like do not sound like the biggest idiot in the world. Like, I don't understand. And on top of that, man, he got socialized medicine because we paid for his hospital bills. We paid for it. I'm glad he survived because I don't want him to be a martyr. But the yeah, fact that he can say, hey, I survived, you can too, is so elitist, mm-hmm. so ignorant. Millions of people in this country cannot afford health care. They go bankrupt because of medical debt. How can you say that people shouldn't have universal health care? The same thing with Biden. How can you say no universal health care in a pandemic? There are some industries in this country that do not need profits over people, and health care is one of that. Sorry, I just got angry. <laughs> like, when Trump got COVID, I so personally, like, I'm going to die, but also I knew, that, like, like, I knew it was just going to be so bad because so many Trumpers Trump made it through. Corona isn't that bad. I just, he's like, I, what, like when he was in like recovery, like in the hospital, he was taking trips outside. Like he, his people, officials were literally advising him while he had COVID. Like, like what? You know, he he put so many people at risk who didn't deserve to be. Just everyday people were trying to work their jobs, and he just put them in an airtight, uh, what's it called, beast, right? That's what the limo's called. And he just risked their lives just to wave at supporters. Uh, this is our country, man. It's, it's going through a revolution, and it needs to go faster because we can't do this incremental BS. It's time for hardcore reform, left-wing populism. We need reform for the working class. We can't keep allowing 
corporate bailouts, endless war, illegal government surveillance, and stuff like that. It's it's ridiculous. Dude, and that, uh, that one thing I'm not even like, okay. that I'll sure about. Like, what are I was gonna ask you? Like, what are Joe Biden's like? What are Joe Biden's plans for solving the pandemic issue? Okay, it's actually not too bad. It's like it's probably his like strongest stuff. So first of all, this man is actually going to spend money on testing. Okay, like that's a huge plus already. You know, he'll provide a massive testing, a help with surveillance testing. Um, I'm pretty sure he's also trying to implement a plan of free tests for all and free masks for all, from what I know. Yeah, that honestly, like we would have been in such a different position if masks were made free the second we heard about this pandemic. Like, if if government mass produced or not the government, if masks are just mass produced and just free for everybody, because like science has showed us, like masks have made a huge difference. Like the rate of transmission drops to something that's like almost non-existent when when both parties wear a mask, and that's why like I don't understand why this pandemic, even this pandemic, has been politicized. Like, why is it that? Like, um... That why is it that Democrats believe masks like, work and Republicans oh, don't? You know I, what? I don't understand that. Pisses me off. Is people people wear masks and I'm okay with that. People wear cloth masks and sometimes I'm skeptical as to whether there's actually a filter in them. But I let it yeah, yeah. But the people who wear the little bandana thingies around their face, that should that there's no way that. Or the people just don't wear over their nose. Corona. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's yeah, it's, dude. Just to let you yeah. know, so. They, uh, there's been like some like effect, uh, efficiency studies about the different kinds of masks. Dude, the ba- bandanas ones are actually they they increase the ris- risk for getting like, COVID. The thing that goes around like your head and it, like droops down like a little like yeah, scarf. Yeah. It's like, like a neck gator slash neck like yeah. yeah yeah yeah. It actually it's, so cre- it's a high it risk. So bad, bro. Like masks are from a fashionable standpoint. Like they're just more they just look better. Like just wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, I like wearing masks now because one, I, I don't have to smile at people. Two, I can let my pedo stash and pedo like neck beard grow. <laughs> oh, 100%, 100%, bro. And also, it's cold outside. And in the winter? It's cold. And it's a little bit oh, warmer yeah. for your wow. face. Like, I might just wear a mask from now oh, yeah. on, bro. Like, I don't even care. I'm glad I don't. Like, today, I, I had to go to a bar. I don't my require job. glasses. And everyone was talking. I was just like, I do not want to be here. But, like, I'd have to smile, pretend to smile at everyone's joke. I just put my mask on. I just fucking sat there. Yeah, resting bitch face. <laughs> I was like, "Let's go! This is amazing." Hey, yo, you want to know something sus? What? So I, uh, I just went to the Joe Biden uh website. He has removed his platform. Uh, for what? Not even. So we can't. What does that mean? Like you know, his like policies that he proposed. Mm-hmm. It's it's not on his website anymore. It's straight up just. A letter to the American people. Oh yeah, um, like his policies for Whoa. maybe this is like temporary, just because he just won the election. Oh, dude, I don't like this. Uh, this is this is like a step in not holding him accountable because no one actually memorized his <laughs> uh, platform. Oh, you I think it's just like oh, uh, it's just like him. And you play ultimate frisbee, you know. Well, with friends, like before the pandemic, but not in on the team. I I'm not too good. I'm I'm quite slow. But no, um, it's a quick thing. I want to like. What happened? You, said, you slimmed down a lot since last time I saw you. It was summer. The time of since I saw you. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. 
So she doesn't yeah. burn, bro. Oh, dude, I've, I've, then you can play with I've all been the, the Splendor players. Bro, when you play Ultimate, thank you, bro. Not just the first few Indians that we always play with. <laughs> oh, wait, one quick thing, okay? Uh, before we sound, uh, before I sound super, 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 super anti-Biden, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, before I sound super anti-Biden, uh, one, like, some upsides to the Biden presidency is, one, he will get us back in the, plim- uh, the Paris Climate Accords. He will keep us in the World Health Organization, and he will try to get us back in the Iran deal, you know? So those are three upsides. And someone who won't make fun of masks and, you know, actually put on a mask. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn. Are we ending our time soon? Oh, you can keep talking if you like. But I don't have any like, deadline. Okay, I'm probably going to head off. I have to wake up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be fine. Damn, this is an awesome conversation. Thank you so much. And if you can edit, thank, thank you for coming on. Can you guys share thank you so much. This is awesome. And yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Let me just quickly plug in. Let me just quickly plug stuff, okay? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, check us out at powerotpeople.com uh, for our different policies and a more extensive overview into universal basic income, data as a property right, ranked choice voting, value added tax and um, um, other policies as well. And you can look at the different campaigns and groups that support it. You can check us out at power the people, uh, powerotpeople.com. Oh, damn it. At powerotpeople on Instagram and Twitter. And check us out on LinkedIn. And finally, you can check us out on UBI Bros, which is our podcast, which we had to take a hiatus from because of school. But we'll be back with that. Thank you. All right, right, man. Thank you for joining us. All right, bad boys. I'll see you guys. Bye. All right. You're cutting out a ton, like, um, yeah. Okay, one second. Give me- well, I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion. If you have any other suggestions, please just let me know. And please check out the podcast and website that Dirtwan plugged 900 times. Have a great rest of your day.